Hello everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the MEM podcast. My name is Dr. Demi Wright and I'm one of the respiratory registrars in the East Midlands. Today I'll be talking to you about spontaneous pneumothorax because it's one of the common presentations that you'll see on the medical take and it's important for you to understand the etiology, the presentation, the investigations and have a good management approach to this condition. So to begin, it can be defined as a collection of air within the pleural cavity and this collection tends to cause a collapse of the underlying lung. It's more frequent in men, about 10 to 20 times more common in men than women and it can be classified as primary versus secondary and this distinction is particularly important when it comes to the treatment which we will discuss shortly. Primary pneumothorax occurs in patients with no underlying lung disease versus secondary occurs in patients with underlying lung disease. Sometimes the distinction becomes a bit blurred and that's particularly when you have primary pneumothorax patients that are smokers. What's important to understand with this is that even though they might be smokers, if there's no symptoms of an underlying lung disease, or no loss of function due to the smoking, then these patients should be and remain classified as primary pneumothorax versus secondary. So secondary pneumothorax is most common in COPD, but it can also happen in other conditions such as lung cancers and necrotizing pneumonias. What puts people at risk for pneumothorax? What you'll understand or notice is that smoking is related to both primary and secondary pneumothorax and it increases the risk from 0.1% in non-smokers to 12% in smokers so it's quite significant. Body stature is also another thing that's related and particularly tall slim patients are more at risk and a morphinoid body habitus one that is frequently described Pneumothoraxes have a variation of their presentation and it's important to keep it in as a differential when you have a patient that presents with shortness of breath or cough or maybe just a bit of chest pain. These patients, they can be asymptomatic or they can have symptoms that can be quite extreme and particularly in patients with a tension pneumothorax, they would be on the other end of the spectrum with cardiovascular or cardiorespiratory collapse. The symptoms in secondary tend to be particularly more severe than primary and that's not surprising is it because you have patients with underlying lung disease with less physiological reserve they therefore would become more symptomatic. In terms of examination, what you'd be looking out for is increased respiratory rate and you have decreased chest expansion and hyperresonant percussion note with decreased breath sounds on the affected side. So you'll have a patient that you're reasonably worried about a diagnosis of pneumothorax. How do you then go on to make that diagnosis? Imaging. So imaging is the number one thing that you want to get and chest x-ray is by far the number one and the first thing that you want to get done. So a standard erect PA film doesn't matter if it's inspiration or expiration and what you're looking for on the chest x-ray is number one the presence of the pneumothorax in the first place and two the size of the pneumothorax. So a pneumothorax is defined as large if it is 
greater than two centimeters between the lung margin and the chest wall. This has to be measured at the level of the hilum and it represents a 50% pneumothorax. So there's obviously some problems with this definition as if you've seen pneumothoraces on chest x-rays, you know that they're not all uniform. Sometimes you have apical pneumothoraces, basal pneumothoraces, or just a bit asymmetrical. So this is one of the issues associated with this definition. But this is the one that we have. This is the one that we use. If you have any uncertainty about the presence of a pneumothorax, and particularly in patients with bullous lung disease, you might want to take the next step and use a CT for diagnosis rather than going straight to treatment. Another imaging modality that's becoming quite popular recently is the use of lung ultrasound, but this requires appropriate training and so is not recommended for just anyone to use. So you've had a patient that you've had a chest x-ray done and it shows that they have a pneumothorax. What do you need to consider to determine how you're going to manage this patient? You have three factors that you need to consider. One, is it primary versus secondary? Two, is this patient symptomatic or asymptomatic? And three, what is the size of the pneumothorax? So generally speaking, primary pneumothoraces, the treatment of choice tends to be observation, particularly if the patient has a small pneumothorax or even if it's a large one, if they are asymptomatic, then you want to observe these patients. And what this means is you can discharge these patients in the emergency room with an early outpatient follow-up within two to four weeks for a chest x-ray. And it's absolutely important that you safety net these patients. So you tell them, if they have any worsening shortness of breath, chest pain, cough, they're to come back in for us to repeat the imaging and possibly treat it at that time. Reasoning behind the conservative management of the primary spontaneous pneumothorax is that 80% of these patients which have a small pneumothorax, they tend not to have a persistent air leak. So what that means is recurrence with observation alone has been found to be less than those that have actually been treated with chest strains. Moving on to symptomatic patient management. So whether that's primary or secondary, the management would be to admit these patients. So all symptomatic patients need to be admitted. They need to be admitted, they need high flow oxygen, and whether they need some form of intervention will be determined. So the interventions are going to be between aspiration versus a chest strain. And needle aspiration is the treatment of choice for patients with primary spontaneous pneumothorax, regardless of the size, as the BTS says, it's as effective as large bore chest strain, and it reduces hospitalization rates and length of stay. However, the failure rates of needle aspiration are quite high. Up to a third of patients have failed needle aspiration attempts and then require going on to chest strain in the second instance. What you'll actually find in clinical practice is it might vary depending on which hospital you're working in, but due to you know patient factors and that high chance of failure, most people end up having a chest strain in the first instance, which BTS says is okay 
but if you can do and you have the skills to do it you should be attempting needle aspiration in the first instance so chest strain management is that next option so chest strains definitely should be for patients who are symptomatic with large thoraces and particularly in secondary cases as the resolution with aspiration is less likely Moving on to the general management of secondary spontaneous pneumothorax, all of these patients need to be admitted. And this is regardless of whether they're symptomatic or not, and whether it's a small or large pneumothorax. All secondary pneumothorax patients need to be admitted as they will all need some form of treatment. So they'll need high flow oxygen if not contraindicated, and most of them will require chest strain. Some of them will have a persistent ear leak case, we then need to be thinking about other strategies. So what do you do if you have a patient with a pneumothorax that has not resolved within 48 hours? So this is a patient that's likely to have an ongoing or persistent ear leak. And so the first option that we could consider is to apply this patient's chest strain to suction. So we use high volume, low pressure suction systems, and you start at five to 20 centimeters of water. And the thinking behind this is that you would aspirate more air compared to that which is being leaked from the parenchyma with the chances of opposition of the pleura and resolution of the pneumothorax. If that doesn't work, then referral to thoracic surgeons is indicated. So once the pneumothorax has resolved, you want to then go on to discharge this patient. So it's absolutely important, as I mentioned before, to safety net these patients and lifestyle modification is so important. So smoking cessation is key as the ongoing risk of pneumothorax is there. These patients will need to be followed up with the respiratory team and this is particularly in secondary pneumothorax patients where we might need to manage the underlying lung disease and of course there is a risk of recurrence so possibly planning later surgical interventions. Patients can return to work once they have resolution of their symptoms and it's only important for them to avoid extreme exertion and physical contact sports. It's important to advise them as well to avoid air travel for a minimum of six weeks to three months post resolution of the pneumothorax and they can never dive unless they have had surgical correction. So in summary, a pneumothorax is collection of air in the pleural cavity and it can be primary or secondary. Investigation of choice is the chest x-ray and treatment depends on whether it's primary or secondary, symptomatic or asymptomatic and the size of the pneumothorax. Largely speaking, all secondary pneumothorax patients and all symptomatic patients need to be admitted for some sort of in intervention, which is likely going to be a chest drain insertion. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you have found this useful.